0: This is the Extra Point Podcast. During this podcast, we will dive deeper into our Sunday teaching and share practical next steps for your faith journey. Now, let's kick off the Extra Point. Hello and welcome to the Extra Point Podcast. Um, This is a podcast we have come out every single week from Southridge Church Sunday Teachings. This past Sunday, um, Scott led us in the first week of a new series, Um, oh my gosh, I just forgot it. I keep saying I was going to forget it, Family Christmas Tree. You did it. I keep wanting to say something else about Christmas and family, like maybe like, family Christmas vacation. I'm not sure, but it's family Christmas tree. And um, we just had our first week talking about the lineage of what we actually celebrate at Christmas, how Jesus' family comes from imperfect people, just like you and me, and how through that we can actually have hope for our own futures and um, for those in our lives and what God has planned for all of us. So as we look at this first week of Family Christmas tree, we got into just, to me, this seems like just the very beginning of faith, of like what many faiths around the world consider to be the founding Mm -hmm. moments um, through Abram and this uh, covenant with God. And so um, if it would be cool, we'd like to hear maybe a little um, roundup of what we heard, but also anything that drove us to this point? Like, what kind of things um, makes this founding moment of the family Christmas tree so critical mm-hmm. to us now?
1: Yeah, so I wasn't even originally going to do Abram, um, but as I started to study who we're actually going to study in week two, I just kept getting this nagging feeling that, like, hey, you got to go back to Genesis 15. I was like, okay. As then I go and I read <clears throat> Genesis 15. I was like, all right, this is, this is a perfect Start of this series, because what we want to do is talk about jesus' family and some of the figures that led up to his birth um and how not all of them in fact none of them really had it all together mm-hmm. um and especially if you look at the stories of Abram like he did some weird stuff yeah. Um, yeah. you know lying about his wife and different things on different trips to Egypt and things it, so he wasn't a perfect person, but in Genesis 15, is just a story that I learned this from the great Tim Keller. I watched him preach on this once, and it has made Genesis 15 one of my absolute favorite stories in all of the Bible. And so, essentially what it is, it is the covenant confirmation. Like, God has already called Abram out of the place where he was living to um, go to a land that he will show them him and lot get to the promised land essentially they they go their own ways and and now even though God has made these promises to Abram now he's going to confirm mm-hmm. these promises because abram is a lot like us and he has some doubts he's going i I don't know God you keep telling me that you're going to give me this this all these descendants I'm going to be a great nation but sort of a problem with that, God, I don't have any children. Like you can't really have a nation until you have a child. Yeah. Um and so he's going, That that leaves me a little bit of doubt, um, in that and then you keep telling me that you're gonna give us this land and as I look out over this land, there are people that Already live inher- there yeah. inhabit <laughs> this land. And in fact at the end of Genesis fifteen there's like a list of all the people that already inhabit the land. He goes, Okay, God, so you say great nation, I have no children. You say you give me the land, but there's people that live here I don't know how that's all going to go. So he mm-hmm. has this doubt, and so um, God is going to confirm this covenant with him through an ancient covenant ceremony um, that is called the cleaving of the animals or the cleaving of the meats. Um, and essentially, it's where somebody would go, like Abram. God told him to go and find these three animals and a couple birds. You would cut them in half. You put them one half on one side, one half on the other. You'd kind of make like a little tunnel of mm-hmm. uh, dead carcasses. And with that, all the blood would kind of rush into the middle. And then to confirm the covenant, the two people that are making the covenant would walk through. And what would inevitably happen if you have like a river of blood running down through the middle as you walk, that's going to splash up on you Mm -hmm. and all that. And essentially what this is the ancient handshake of saying, look, if I break my promise in this covenant, if I don't keep up my part, then what happened to these animals will happen to me. So. Mm -hmm. If I don't, if I'm not good for my word, if I'm not good for my end of the covenant, then it will be my bloodshed. It will be my body that's broken. It will be my enemies that take charge of me and kill me. So that's what they would say. Now, also in this ancient covenant, sometimes it would be kings um, with like a subordinate or a subject Mm -hmm. that would be entering into a covenant. The king would never have to walk um, the pieces Mm -hmm. because he's never really in danger of, um, the subject saying, "Well, you broke your word because yeah. kings could just break their word or whatever." But but the thing that makes this story so so incredible and like I I like preaching stuff like this because like as people are leaving, they're going, "I've never I've never seen that before. I've mm-hmm. never heard that." Before. And it's like, well, because truthfully, it's really not in the text, right? Like if you don't have ancient Near Eastern cultural context, um, or you don't have a sermon from the great Tim Keller like I did to listen to and go, ah, Mm -hmm. that's what's going on here, then you wouldn't know exactly what was going on because it's just like, all right, Abrams is asking, how do I know this is going to happen? God goes, go get these animals. And then when he comes back, he's just slicing them in half and creating this little tunnel of dead animals and blood and all of this. And, and. as we read this, we're going, What's going on? And then okay, and then he they he goes into this deep sleep. There's another vision about what's gonna happen to um his descendants when they're in slavery, and then they come back to the scene of the dead animals and all of this, and it's like a smoking pot and a flaming torch
0: mm-hmm. passed
1: through the pieces and then the chapter just ends and you go Well What
0: did I just read? Yeah, you know,
1: what what does that even <laughs> right. mean? Yeah. What do you mean? Like and until I saw someone write it down for me, I felt the same way. I was like mm-hmm okay, there was some sort of covenant that was confirmed by what just happened here, but I don't really understand what it was. Mm -hmm. But then as you get into it, the the flaming, or the the, the words smoking and flaming Mm -hmm. there are the same two words that um, were used to describe the manifest presence of God as it fell on Mount Sinai whenever he gave Moses the law later Mm -hmm. um, in the history of Israel. So the picture now becomes... That we know that it was God that was walking through the pieces, mm-hmm. like smoking uh, fire pot, flaming torch, all that. that. That is the manifest presence of God walking these pieces, which, okay, covenant you know conversation, one party walks, but never the king. So that was odd that it happened. Mm-hmm. The bigger thing that's missing from the story is why did Abram not walk the pieces? He is the subordinate in this. He is the subject in this. He is the lesser of the two in this covenant. Why did he not have to walk? And then what we begin to just piece together is he didn't walk because God said that he would take care of both sides of this covenant. Abram, I'm going to see you all through this. Even if you're unfaithful to me, I'm going to make yeah. you into a great nation, even though you're going to be unfaithful. You're going to drop the ball. You're going to fail. Your descendants are definitely going to fail. Israel was a disaster throughout most of their history, as it, you know, according to, mm-hmm. you know, what we see in the writings in the Old Testament, things like that. And yet God was still faithful over and over and over. So faithful that eventually he brings through them the Messiah that will, you know, restart creation and make all things new. Um, and and that that is a like I don't know that that story for me I go like as we think about family Christmas tree because my wife was giving me a hard time saying well this isn't a that's not a Christmas message it it's not in one sense but it is in another sense yeah because the ultimate family Christmas tree is the cross. Mm. It is the ultimate family Christmas tree because it is the thing that ushers people into the family of God. Right? It is the it is the tree that because of what happened on it, I, a sinner, a Gentile, one far from God, can be brought close to God and be made one of his children. And same for you, same for anyone mm-hmm. who ever hears that message and puts their faith and trust in what happened on that cross and subsequently in the resurrection. That right there, that Christmas, and this is what... This is why I think, like, I wish there was a way to change the tide. But I know that, I don't know, maybe there's not. Just one little guy with a microphone in South Charleston, West Virginia. But Christmas always gets like a month, month and a half celebration. Mm -hmm. Easter gets like one week. We get Mm -hmm. Holy Week.
0: Right.
1: But Christmas has zero meaning whatsoever without Holy Week. If Jesus didn't die and raise again, then the the story of Jesus being born has no meaning. Mm-hmm. And that's why the cross is the ultimate family Christmas tree because that 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 story has no meaning without what happens at the cross. Yeah. And so really it's more of a Christmas message than what we could ever begin to understand because Christmas needs the cross to have meaning. Yeah. Um and and that's so that that's that's where we were to start it off um was just I wanted everyone to walk away understanding that God wants you to be part of his family. If God were having a Christmas party, he would want you sitting around his tree. Yeah. And he he wanted that so much that he confirmed in a covenant with Abram that he would be good to his word even when humanity fails. And he shows that he will be good to his word all the way through dying on a cross on our behalf, the way we could be part of his family.
0: Yeah. And so, like, this... Grace that God extends to Abram, we see it even whenever he says, like, okay, God, I don't really understand, but I trust you. Yeah. Like I'm trusting that you're gonna do this. And we see in um the one passage, God says, like, you have been made righteous by your faith. Yeah. Like I see you at the way that um you know, I see you um before me as someone who's worthy because yeah. you believe, like yeah. simply from believing me. And I think as we go through the Old Testament, we see other things play out Mm -hmm. that maybe that doesn't seem clear anymore. Like it almost feels like, okay, God said that to Abram, but did he really mean it for everyone? Because of all the other things we start to see, um, the injustices and like the battles and all the things that are just so terrible. Mm -hmm. And it starts to, I don't know, maybe make people wonder, like, is this still the same God? Like, is this still the same plan? Um, and then when we see Jesus, Jesus is full of that kind of grace. Yeah. He, he spends time with people who everyone else see as like outcasts. Um, he performs miracles on people who are unworthy. Like yeah. he starts to do these things and ultimately giving his life um, for a sinner and um, for sinners in general, paying the payment of um, sin. And is there like what do we do about that tension
1: mm-hmm.
0: of, okay, God – seems this way, but then Jesus seems a different way. Like, yeah. is it the same God? Is it the same story? Like, how do we f- decipher that and, and deal with that kind of tension?
1: Yeah. Yeah, this is – so here, here is what I've come to, to understand over, the, like, the last five years is that most of the questions that we ask and most of the thoughts that people in most churches have is due to the fact that we we are taught a very small – truncated version of the gospel that only surrounds penal substitutionary atonement somebody dying in my place mm-hmm. which we did talk about that yesterday but there's so much more to it that is one part of the gospel message that's the part that that most people only ever focus on and so therefore they teach people to have this like almost binary sort of view of what the bible's actually about like they mm-hmm. whittle it down to all right, you're a bad person, you needed someone to die on your behalf, Jesus did it, that's the end, wait for heaven. And you go, really, that's what all 66 of this book are about? Yeah. It's like, no, that's not whatsoever. So that's one of the fallacies that people make, is that they whittle the the great, grand, glorious story of the Bible down to just about your personal sin. Mm -hmm. Your personal sin is an issue, it had to be dealt with, I'm not saying any of that, I'm just saying if you think that's the only thing that the 66 books of the Bible is pointing towards is that you need some sort of personal forgiveness just the way you can spend eternity in heaven with Jesus. That is not the story of the Bible. Mm. That is part of the story of the Bible. That is not the whole story of the Bible. The second mistake that people make, and there was actually a, a, um, an early church um, her- heretic that uh, got excommunicated for this, is the whole idea that, hey, this guy in the Old Testament seems to be a lot different than the guy in the New Testament. There was a guy in early church history uh, named Marcion, and what he did when he was trying to put together what he believed were the, you know, the accredited or the authorized books of the Christian scriptures, he came to the idea that the God of the Old Testament is a mean, vengeful, awful person, and so there's no way that that same God of the Old Testament could be the loving father of Jesus in the New Testament. So mm-hmm. he he preached that they were two different um, stories, that they were two different gods and that they should, the Christianity should be separated from its Jewish roots. That's the other um, fallacy that people make in regards Mm. to understanding stuff. That's why when you preach something like this, people walk away, they're going I've never heard that before. And he goes well, like uh, uh, somebody was leaving yesterday and uh, they told me, they said, it's nice to be reminded about the Old Testament. I don't really think much about it. Mm. And I go, oh man. I I feel so sad for people, yeah. Um, that that's the case because you go like, like that whole thing. Jesus is not starting a new story when he comes on the scene;
0: mm-hmm.
1: he is finishing a story. He is completing. He's bringing a story to its full completion.
0: Yeah,
1: and so it's like everything in the Old Testament was leading up to the story of Jesus. As like one of the things that you have to see in Jesus is that he is fulfilling Israel's side of the covenant because God always said he would take care of both sides of the covenant. Right. He is fulfilling their side of the covenant because he knew that they were unable to do so. Mm-hmm. If you do not see that in the New Testament, then, then yes, you will go and you go, oh, the Old Testament is a, some stories that we learn about God. Mm-hmm. You go, That's not the point of the Old Testament. The Old Testament brought us up to the story of Jesus so the way Jesus could bring it to its fulfillment by the the creator God being faithful to his covenant all the way to letting himself die on that cross to usher in the new creation that is talked about all throughout the Old Testament. Yeah. And and so you get those two fallacies where people just whittle it down to like personal sin is the only issue that needs to be talked about ever you just need penal substitutionary atonement. You just needed some good chap to get in the way of God's anger, so the way you could go free. It's like that. That is such a small part of of this. And like, then you get this other side where people are like, oh, I don't really read the Old Testament. I don't really understand it. And I understand yeah. that the whole I don't understand it thing. But like, that's not an excuse not to go try to understand it. Like, yeah. there's resources out there. I learned what I learned for Sunday. From Tim Keller like seven or eight years ago. And it Mm -hmm. blew my mind. And then I became convinced the more that I listened to people preach the Old Testament. That yes, Jesus is in all of it. Yeah. Like it was the same thing. Remember like if you go back um, to 2022, August. We were talking about Genesis. And um, we were doing the story of Noah. We got to the part of the rainbow. And the reason why the bow was pointing upwards. That was God's promise. Yeah. That, whenever, that, that he would be the one that would take the punishment. Yeah. Right? And he does the same thing in Genesis 15. He's going to do that in these different shadows all throughout the whole Old Testament mm-hmm. until Jesus stands in as Israel to be, like, because Israel was called the Son of God. Mm-hmm. Jesus mm-hmm. is the Son of God in that sense. Like, we know theologically he's not really the Son of God because he's co-equal with the Father. Yeah. Right, we, we just call them these things. Mm-hmm. He gets the designation son of God because he's standing in the place of Israel, being faithful to the covenant that they, they over and over and over broke. And because he was finally faithful to the covenant that they broke, then God could do what he said that he would do, which is to restore and renew all things. Because now there's a way for sin to be taken care of. Now there is a way for people to be made new. And the image of God that has been marred within them is now, Restored all of these threads that have been woven from Genesis through can now be taken care of because of the cross and the resurrection. And these are not just a bunch of like individual things that are happening, right? Like most people, oh, Abram—he's a good guy. We learn a lot about how you know you got to trust God and how God can be trusted. It's like, do you really think that's that's what Abram's you know contribution to the Bible is? It has to be so much more. And so. Like, even in the New Testament, when you hear the word righteousness in the New Testament, that word is more closely translated as covenant faithfulness than anything else. Mm. Covenant faithfulness. Because it's, because like when you hear, oh, it's the righteousness of God, you go, oh, so you mean like all the right stuff God does, he's good, he's holy, he's perfect, his righteousness. Mm -hmm. No, his righteousness is actually that he's been faithful to a covenant that we have unbelievably broken over and over and over and over and over and over and over. And And because he is faithful to the covenant, then he can do what he said he was always going to do. Yeah, that's pretty great. Because if you take the moral view of the word righteousness, then you Mm -hmm. just whittle the story of the Bible back down to your own personal sin and you need someone to make you righteous because you're unrighteous. Mm -hmm. Yes, God imputes his righteousness to you when you, by faith, are forgiven of your sins and made into a new creation. Yes, that does happen. I'm not saying that doesn't happen. I'm just saying that the fuller sense of the word righteousness has to do with covenant faithfulness.
0: Yeah, and I think that this just is in my mind hearing this. Like um, when you see somebody in your life who I'm thinking even just people that we know who stand up and their word is their word and they do what they say, like mm-hmm. there is something that is naturally trusting about yeah. that and naturally comforting about that. Mm-hmm. And like all these other characteristics of God really start to form around this mm-hmm. idea of being trusted with a promise, like yeah. being trusted with, Hey, I'm going to, I'm going to take the, take the punishment. I'm going to make sure yeah. that, um, my my kids are taking care of like there's just something really powerful about that and I do think that um if we are um struggling with a shallow view of the scriptures we're missing that and there's something really freeing there for um the person who is maybe feeling trapped in religion or trapped in um confusion or whatever that looks like that's really great because I know in my own family circumstances when I think about family trees like there's not always a history of trust there's not always a history of being able to count on somebody but to know that like God at uh the yeah. core that's that's who he is he's ready yeah um, promises and covenants so cool.
1: he made thousands of years ago he is still being faithful to to this day because that's what he does yeah he he is the promise and covenant keeper and i was even thinking in my office this morning like genesis 15:6 is that great passage most people go to and they go Abram believed God, and it was, it was reckoned to him or counted to him as righteousness. Mm-hmm. And then, like, what most people will do is go, oh, oh, that's the gospel. That's, like, faith and your imputed righteousness. That's not what's going on because the blood of Jesus is yet to be shed. Yeah. So there's not a theological foundation in Genesis 15 for salvation the way that we talk about it in the New yeah. Testament. Abram was being counted righteous because he believed God. That was it. It, it was not this. It was a precursor to that New Testament theology, mm-hmm. where we can see that God has always operated in this way. Mm-hmm. So, idea of saving people based on faith, or counting them righteous based on faith, is not just a New Testament concept. We see the precursors of it in the New Testament, but there's not a there's not a defined soteriology in Genesis 15 of going, mm-hmm. "Oh, what Abram did was he trusted Jesus as his savior." Goes, no, right. there wasn't a, <laughs> yeah. wasn't a Jesus yet, like as far as there wasn't a cross. Mm -hmm. There wasn't the blood Mm -hmm. yet. Like, like they're not even aware of of that at this point. That's not what's going on in Genesis 15. However, I did think it was interesting given the fact that righteousness does have to do with covenant faithfulness. God is able to deem Abram righteous based on that covenant that Mm -hmm. they are getting ready to, to do not because Abram would, would, would do it, but because he already knew he was going to do it on his behalf. So therefore Abram can be Considered righteous in Genesis six or Genesis fifteen six, based on what God told him he was going to do in Genesis uh, fifteen seventeen.
0: Man, that's great! Yeah, holy cow, that's very very cool. Um, well, you have any closing thoughts before we wrap up today's episode? That's that was awesome.
1: I, I hope like that, that was helpful.
0: I thought it was great. Um, well, I just want to encourage you um, for this episode of the Extra Point Podcast. You know, here at Southridge Church, we are. Um, passionate towards helping people take their next steps in their faith journey, no matter where you may find yourself. If you find yourself in a place of doubt, you find yourself in a place of confusion, you find yourself tied up by um, the chains of religious activity, um, I just want to encourage you to take a next step today in trusting a promise from God. Um, Look into the word and consider the promises he's made and um, take a step towards trusting that today, whatever that looks like in your life. Uh, We're here for you. We love you. We're thankful that you tuned in today for um, the Extra Point podcast. Um, My name is Anna. I'm the youth pastor here, and we can't wait to see you next time. Thanks for tuning in to the Extra Point. Be sure to subscribe to the Southridge Church podcast and tune in every Wednesday for another episode of The Extra Point.